Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. Featuring your hosts, Shannon, the author behind the pen name SC Houston, Ben Pick, and Morgan Lee. Join us several times each month when we interview authors about their self-publishing and marketing journeys, talk to industry leaders, and discuss books about writing, self-publishing, and marketing. Also stay tuned for the best self-publishing tip or trick of the week. Hello, everyone. My name is Morgan Lee, and I am an indie author of two books, the first two in a dark fantasy trilogy, and today we are here with writer and sensitivity reader Heather Howland. But before we talk to her, I'm going to give my co-hosts a moment to say hello, introduce themselves, and give us any updates on things going on. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm Shannon. I'm the author of uh, Fantasy Romance and YA Fantasy under the pen name of SD Houston. And news and updates, we are actually recording this pretty close to when it's going to be releasing. So at the moment, I am doing a lot on my YouTube channel, I'm bringing on 22 authors throughout the month to do charmed chats and happily ever after sprints, basically talking to fantasy romance authors all month about their writing their books, playing some games and doing some writing sprints. And it's been a lot of fun, but I didn't realize how much energy it takes to host people on your channel every day. So (laughs) I feel really tired. We're about halfway through the authors now, but it's been a really great experience. I love it. So come when this releases in March, I'll probably be like, I don't have to do any more um, live hosting on my channel and can breathe a little bit. And I am working back on the second book in my Brides of the Dragon King series, which is called Acre of wings nope yes that's right a curse of wings and gems so i am hopefully going to be able to dive more into that come march so that's what i have going on nice nice and as for me this will be coming out the week before i go to awesome con which should be pretty awesome i'm first time vendor there i've been going a couple years off and on depending on what it is but it'll be a lot of fun that'll be the biggest conference i've ever been a part of so i'm really really excited to see how things will go uh i could just blow up my face but i'm hoping for the best and on top of that or i guess because of that uh whatever i am also at the end of the month so this comes out on the March 1st. At the end of the month, I will have my third book published. So we have Falling Through Behind Me, Expanding Cracks, and I can say this now, Saving the Lost is the third book, and it will be coming out on March 30th. So follow my YouTube channel, Running to Write, and I'll be sharing all kinds of info. I'll be hosting a publication party, all that stuff, and lots of fun things. So you said March 30th. So when this yes. episode comes out, you'll have like a, we have like a pre-order link? Mm-hmm. Okay, I we'll make sure. sure. Yeah, we'll get that in the show notes. Make sure you get I that think, to me. Yeah, yeah I think technically my book is live for pre-orders now so oh is it oh awesome yeah well because i wanted to, so for uh, th- this is a long tangent but basically for awesome con i wanted to have a couple of author copies ready and in order to do that i need to put things through into pre-publication so i just sort of streamlined that so. gotcha and awesome con where is that taking place at what, DC, what state? sorry DC. um washington dc it's a local com- comic convention yeah. that so if anyone lives in the far. dc area or the the states around Rangers. dc yeah, yeah. Virginia, Maryland, PA, whatever <laughs> yeah nice mm-hmm. um well for me i'm still working on my third book i don't have have a release date yet, but I am still working on that. Working on a cozy fantasy series as well that will probably won't be published until probably next year, but I am working on that and posting videos or trying to post videos on my channel every other Saturday. It's hit or miss sometimes, but just subscribe to my channel and you will see what videos come from me. So that's all that I have going on. So now we are going to talk about our guests for today. Heather Howland graduated with a BA in English from Arizona State University, started freelance writing for former online publications Skirt Collective and Exo Jane, eventually moved into writing agencies, content writers, and writer access, writing short and long-form articles, landing pages, white papers, and more. Has been sensitivity reading for over two years now, both on and off Fiverr, and any free time is dedicated to writing a new adult debut novel. So let's welcome 
welcome Heather. Hello. Hello. Uh, would you take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself and cover anything that we missed? Yeah, I uh, I am 37 years old. I live in Seattle, Washington with my husband and our fur baby, George. He's a pit bull mix. And yeah, I do a lot of reading and writing in my free time. That uh, debut novel that you talked about, um, it's a new adult science fiction, sort of like dystopian type of book. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it. I'm like halfway through right now uh, writing it. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for joining us today. Um, so since some of our listeners may not be familiar with the term sensitivity reader, can you explain a little bit about what a sensitivity reader does? Absolutely. Uh, it's very similar to a beta reader in that they take your manuscript uh, and they provide feedback on sensitive topics. So while a beta reader would provide feedback on like consistency, plot development, character development, things of that nature, a sensitivity reader would tackle either subjects or characters that are sensitive. So that, and we'll get into the examples a little bit later on of what that looks like, but it's basically really simply put, it's just trying to ensure that your manuscript, your novel, the characters, the story is as accurate of a portrayal and authentic of a portrayal as possible. And I think that's really important. I don't think sensitivity readers have been around for very long. Um, I mean, as you know, I've, I've only been publishing for a couple of years, but I didn't even hear about sensitivity readers until probably about a couple of years ago. So I really... Yeah, it's still very much like a niche uh, area right now. And I think uh, people are just kind of starting to learn about it. You know, I didn't hear about it until, you know, I came on the scene with it. Uh, so it, it's still kind of relatively new and people are still kind of like figuring out if it's something that they want to partake in. Well, I'm glad we have you on the show to hopefully let people know about sensitivity reading um, and readers that are out there. Thank you. So your, your uh, fiber profile states that you specifically provide sensitivity reading for content pertaining to POC, women, and mental health. Can you tell us how you got started and what made you want to be a sensitivity reader? Yeah. So to be honest, when I first started, it w I was just looking for a way to use my degree. Um, everyone that goes to college, graduate, you go through that like job hunting phase and you're kind of like wondering like, okay, what am I going to do with this now? I came across a sensitivity reader that was also on social media on Instagram talking about what they do on a Fiverr. And that's how I learned about sensitivity reading. And I immediately wanted to be a part of it because I felt like I had one, the education, but also like the firsthand experience in these areas, being a woman, being a person of color, uh, you know, I identify as Afro-Indigenous. I'm Puerto Rican. So I have, you know, Spaniard and uh, Indigenous Tahino and African roots. And then, you know, obviously with mental health either as well, having experience with that. I did at one point put religion up there as well, because that can be a sensitive topic. And I do have a background in religion. So yeah, I, I wanted to be a part of making a change within literature to become more diverse and inclusive. And I felt like it's an area that is very much needed, but also it's, it's an area where it's for me, it's not just about correcting people. It's about educating people. It's about empowering them to write diverse stories and not shy away from doing that because maybe they don't have firsthand experience with that. 
So I was really excited not just to read manuscripts and to hear amazing stories, but to educate more than anything else and empower writers. So you said you used to do sensitivity reading for religion, but it's not something you do anymore. Can you tell us why you stopped doing that? Oh, it's not that I don't do it anymore. I think I think when I first put it up there, I, I was a little bit ambitious in terms of like putting religion in general. Like I am not a connoisseur of world religions. I have experience with one religion and that is Christianity. And I am no longer a Christian. So not to get into all of that, but I'm no longer a Christian. And so I didn't feel like I really had the, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, I didn't have the, the drive or the passion to do that anymore, really. But I mean, if somebody approached me and asked me, I, I would, because I have that previous experience and, you know, I was a part of an organization where I very heavily studied the Bible at, you know, almost like a university, I would do it, but it's not something I advertise anymore. It makes sense. What are some other examples of topics that a sensitivity reader can help an author portray accurately? Yeah, there are quite a lot of, of topics you can uh, talk about socioeconomic status. So for example, like if one of your characters lives in poverty, or um, if one of your characters is dealing with abuse, physical, mental, any type of even like sexual abuse, obviously, there's a lot of content warnings, trigger warnings with some, some of these sensitivity topics. Race in general, like I tackle POC characters, but there are people that have, you know, a little bit more firsthand experience with certain characters of color, uh, more so than I do. A lot of the times people come to me if they have an African-American character or a Hispanic character, but I'm, they may go to somebody else if their character is, let's say, you know, Vietnamese or Singaporean or something like that, because they may have more experience than I do with that topic. Yeah, there's all sorts of things. Anything that you can think of that should be handled with care is most likely a sensitivity topic that a sensitivity reader would. Oh, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of that is encompassed within sensitivity reading. And we just did have an author on that she did sensitivity reading. We just found that out offhand during our interview with her and that she also include um, body sensitivity issues as well. So mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, body image, all of that. Like, you know, this might be triggering for some people, but self-harm, things like that. Anything like I said, anything that is should be treaded on lightly would be under that category. So you've kind of already mentioned a little bit about the importance, but I know a lot of authors seem to think that they don't need a sensitivity reader or that it's an unnecessary expense or yeah. some other reason that, oh, I can just skip over that part. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of authors including the service in their publishing plan? Yeah, of course. You know, my question to, to writers when it comes to figuring out if they want to include sensitivity reading in their process is really how, and it, it might be a little bit controversial, but how good do you want your manuscript to be at the end of the day? Only because sensitivity reading isn't just about saying, hey, this might be offensive or hey, this might, you know, like uh, this might trigger some, some of your readers. Uh, that is an aspect of it, but it's so much more than that. It's about a better your writing and, and uh, stretching
pushing yourself as far as what you're capable of doing as a writer. The majority of the authors that come to me asking for sensitivity reading are uh, white authors who are writing POC characters. So they don't have that firsthand experience. And, you know, I'm able to read that manuscript and I'm able to stretch that character or stretch that story a little bit further and say, hey, this is, you know, coming across a little flat. Uh, the, you know, the storyline of the characters are a little bit banal. And the we want to make this character multidimensional. We want to make this story more dynamic. And one of the ways in which you can do that is by really digging into the, the character as a real life person and reflecting the world that we live in in your story. So, you know, for example, include incorporating culture, incorporating aspects of their of the world around them and how they would have grown up, you know, how they would act in a certain situation. Uh, I don't think that people really really understand how much a person's heritage, a person's culture, and a person's, you know, skin color comes into play in their everyday life, especially if they're not in that position themselves and they don't have that firsthand experience. I can say as a person of color myself that being Afro-Indigenous, it colors everything in my life. It it spills over into every area of my life. And so there are going to be things that are very much unique to me. And those differences are what make a character and a story more dynamic more real, more grounded in the truth and a more accurate portrayal. So it's not just about content warnings, trigger warnings, what could offend somebody. It's about making the story better at the end of the day. Totally agree with that, that, you know, you don't know what that perspective is or what that, what, what they see. Um, and this really actually hit home for me this morning because I like to listen to like YouTube shorts and stuff. And I like to listen to a lot of science stuff. And one of the people I listened to is Neil deGrasse Tyson. And mm-hmm. one of the things he said was his first interview really change his perspective because he was um, a doctoral candidate at his college and they called his department to ask, hey, there was this huge solar flare. Are we, do we need to worry about it? And it was from the government and the, he was the first person that was there. They're like, hey, can you answer this, this call? And he's like, oh no, it happens all the time. Don't worry about it. He's like, well, can we interview you? And he's like, sure. So they interviewed him. And that night when he went home, he said it was when he saw the interview back, he said it was the first time he saw a black person being interviewed, not because they were black, but because of what they knew. And he said that really changed the way he decided to approach interviews in the future. And I was like, oh, yeah, I would never even have thought about that without having his perspective on that. So, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And what I've come across a lot in with writing is that, you know, the person's ethnic background, racial background, it, it comes into play, but not in the right way, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's about pivoting and, and the whole point of diversity inclusion and wanting to broaden, you know, what we intake in literature as far as representation goes is to be able to to tell these stories and it not be necessarily a black character or a Puerto Rican character, but just a person whose story that we're telling them, whose story that we're telling, but we don't also want to go on the opposite end of the spectrum and not show what makes them who they are as far as their culture goes as well. So it's yeah. it's kind of finding that balance right. in between. And I can see that would be hard. You know, you want to do justice to the character, sure. Absolutely. Well, is there anything specific that an author needs to consider or know when it comes to hiring and working with a sensitivity reader or what advice do you have for initiating that first conversation? Um, I would initiate it in the same way that you would initiate a conversation with a beta reader. Just reaching out to them, letting them know exactly what you want. I definitely encourage writers to know ahead of time what kind of feedback they're looking for. It definitely helps a sensitivity reader to know exactly what they're pinpointing within the manuscript because we're going to read the whole thing, but we, we want 
to be able to pull out the areas that are, are most important to you. And a good sensitivity reader is somebody who is going to give you advice on the whole manuscript as a whole, even outside of maybe some of the topics that you asked for, because sometimes we don't always know what might be triggering or offensive or might what might be inaccurate. And that's really the job of the sensitivity reader to take it beyond just some of the topics that you discussed, but even highlight some of the things that you may not even be aware of. In your opinion, is there a certain point where an author should employ a sensitivity reader? So for example, should they say, hey, here's an outline I have, this character, you know, I want to portray them a certain way. Is that what kinds of issues could I run into? Or does it make sense to say, hey, here's my first draft. What do you think? Or should you go and wait until the final pre-published version and say, this is like the last chance I get to fix anything? Uh, where does it make most sense to hire a sensitivity reader? Right. I would definitely encourage writers to do it after the first draft is complete. Before you hand it over to your editor to take a look at, it's okay if you have somebody beta reading at the same time. But I think especially if your sensitivity topic is a good majority of the story, or if the character that you're wanting to get sensitivity reading feedback on is a main character, is the protagonist, definitely want to get the sensitivity reader in there pretty quickly. Uh, it's more because these topics are really nuanced. It's a lot better to do it at the first draft phase as opposed to when you're just outlining because we can give you advice on, you know, uh, maybe some characteristics or maybe some just like general education things like, hey, you you're going to want to do this, this and this with this character or you want to you're going to want to do this, this and this with this topic. But it's not going to be as thorough as it can be if you're doing it after the first draft. And you don't want to do it too late either because the feedback could end up changing a lot about the plot points in your story or even just like the trajectory of your character as well. Um, so what are some common reasons or excuses that you've heard um, against employing the services of a sensitivity reader? Yeah, um, personally, I haven't heard any reasons why not to, but I think in a general way, I've heard that it's not necessary. They don't, they feel pretty confident in tackling some of those areas or that it's, you know, it's an added expense that they don't, they maybe can't afford at the time or whatever. And to that, I say, you know, one, I do feel like it's very necess necessary and not just because I'm a sensitivity reader, but because there's a lot of things that we don't catch. This is why we have beta readers. This is why we have editors. This is why we have other people looking at the story for us, because we might feel super confident going into it, but you want to get the perspective of other people, especially if you have a, a diverse characters or stories that tackle sensitive subjects. And as far as the expense goes, there are sensitivity readers in all brackets in terms of like, you know, what they charge. I would encourage writers to reach out to any sensitivity reader and just see what can be done. You know, maybe you can negotiate a deal to where you can give them, you know, the first half of your manuscript that they can work on uh, for the time being, charge you for that portion of it, and then work on the second half um, later down the road. It all depends on your timeline and what you're able to do. But a lot of people would be willing to work with you. Yeah, I could see that as being one thing that may stop some indie authors is that the, the cost, especially if you're just starting out and you, you know, you get hit with all these costs with the editors and cover design. It's so much money up front. If you don't have anything published, you're not making money. So you're putting all this stuff. I mean, Ben, I think approached it really well. He saved up money for years to pay for his editor and cover design and stuff because he knew this is something he eventually wanted to do. Um, I'm assuming it was years, if I remember right, Ben. Yeah, they, I mean, I also spent a decade and a half to publish my first book, so, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, it does kind of... with mileage. Yeah. So, yeah, I could definitely see that that could be a, a deterrent uh, for some people, even if it's uh, needed. And, and in that case, I guess maybe I would say, I don't know, there's there's probably just, you could maybe find beta readers who are not, whatever it is that you're looking for, whether it is like a body, a sense 
sensitivity or religious sensitivity or whatever it is, maybe. But I, I do appreciate that we do have a community of sensitivity readers that we can reach out to that we can pay for their profession opinion on as well. So for those who can yeah. afford it. And there are, I'll just say really quickly, there yeah. are uh, sensitivity readers who also beta read. So they might mm-hmm. be able to offer you some sort of deal while doing both because they're going to have to read your manuscript anyway. So they can mm-hmm. provide feedback in both areas. True. I didn't think about that. But that's a good point to make. <laughs> Do you have a specific process when you are sensitivity reading a manuscript? Like walk us through that a little bit. And like, how do you give feedback to the author? Yeah. My process may not look the same as other sensitivity readers, just putting that pre-qualifier out there. But uh, normally what I do when they provide me with the manuscript is I will do two things. I will provide the manuscript back to them with in-text comments that will be highlighted. I also do some light editing because the English major in me (laughs) can't just bypass certain things without making some slight edits. So if there's like a misspelling or, you know, like there's a missing word that would make the sentence uh, make more sense, things like that, that, you know, I can tell it's a first draft. They probably likely haven't proofread it yet. And I always put, make my edits in green so that, you know, I'm I'm still keeping the integrity of the, the original manuscript, but I'll do the in-text comments. And then I will provide a secondary document with more in-depth feedback and I'll break it down into categories. So it might look like, and it all depends on the manuscript. It could be chapter groupings. So I might, you know, break down chapters one through five and provide my feedback below. But a lot of the times I like to break it down by subject matter. So I'll break it down by a plot, character development, character description, and or the sensitivity topic itself. That way, you know, it's very clear and concise. They know exactly where to go. Uh, and then within that, I will provide my feedback. And then I may also provide some suggestions on how they can fix it. Because it's not just about identifying problems. It's also providing solutions for them. And um, for me, it's really, really important to educate. So my goal isn't just to say, here's what the issue is. And here's what the solution is. It's also to say, here's what the issue is. And here's why this is the maybe the historical reference behind it, or maybe just educating people what they might not realize why this word is offensive, or why this action may not be suitable for this character, or why this description is is not (laughs) correct and then provide some suggestions for them as well. What do authors tend to get wrong in their writing as it pertains to the areas that you focus in, whether it's POC, women, and mental health? And are there any reoccurring issues that you notice across multiple projects? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's always the same thing over and over again. And that is that author or writers tend to lean into stereotypes and tropes. And it's understandable. Stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. And, you know, a lot of authors utilize tropes in their writing on purpose. So it's completely understandable. And my job isn't necessarily to judge the writer or what they're doing. My job is to just identify and let them know because sometimes that may be exactly what they want. Sometimes they may want a stereotype to be put in there because they have a purpose for it. And as long as you have a purpose for what it is that you're doing, then go ahead, you know, like put that in there because it may add to the plot. It may be a part of a character's development.
development. It may be a part of their art, but I just want to identify it and be like, hey, this is how this is going to come across if this is what you, if you decide to keep this in here. This is how some readers may take it. But it's it's a lot of the stereotypes and it's a lot of, especially with characters, I find this to be like the main issue is that they will slap an identification on a character and that is that is the, as much research and as much effort as they'll put into developing that character. So, I mean, I've had literal writers say the black muscular woman or the Vietnamese man. And uh, for me, it, it's not problematic in that you're identifying a character's race or ethnicity. It's problematic because that's that the, the extent in which the writer will go. And to me, that's lazy writing. And I, I, and I say that very honestly. My feedback is very direct because I want people to understand like this, you know, we have to do these characters justice as making them as dynamic as possible. And, you know, the fact is, is that in the world that we live in, we have a default as far as characters go. If we don't identify a character as being anything but Caucasian, we're going to assume that that character is white because that's what we are typical and used to reading. Same thing. If you don't identify a character as being queer or as being, you know, gay or as ha- being transgendered, we're going to assume that that character is straight. We're going to assume that their that character is on the binary and that they, you know, identify as cisgender. And so it's not just about putting a label on something. It's about t- being more creative of how we present that character to the world. So nobody's going to go around and be like, hi, um, like I am black muscular woman. You know, like, that's not a thing. So we want to make sure that, you know, we are being more intentional with the way that we present that character to the world. And it looks like, you know, we can use physical description. We can talk about hair texture. We can talk about facial features. Features. We can talk about skin tone. We shouldn't be afraid of those things. We should just handle them with care and know, you know, what what's kind of a turnoff for people to read, you know, when, when identifying physical attributes of that character. We can use their culture. We can use, you know, like if I talk about a Hispanic character, not only would I describe her, you know, maybe she had curly hair, she had tawny skin. I would definitely stay away from describing skin tone with food items because a lot of people find that to be fetishizing. And then I might, you know, have her throw in some Hispanic words because, you know, Spanglish is a very normal thing, especially, you know, for a person of Hispanic background or Latinx background that is also American. It's very common for them to speak Spanish in the household, but then outside of the household speak English. I might go even further than that and bring in food. You know, maybe she's going to have food item that is very indicative of her culture. So like, for example, with me being Puerto Rican, maybe I'll have her eat some pastelon, you know, like, because that's a dish that is very specific to my little island in the Caribbean. And it's giving the writer some sort of identify, identifying markers without necessarily spoon feeding them like, oh, she's Puerto Rican, like allow the reader to to do their own homework if they need to. They read something in a book and they're like, oh, I don't know what pastelon is. They're going to go onto the internet and they're going to figure it out. And they're going to be able to see, oh, you know, A plus B plus E equals she's Puerto Rican. I get that now. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's really important because I feel like a lot of people or a lot of writers sometimes, especially if they're not from the identity that they're talking about, will be like, well, I, it's a black character. I included diversity. Like, see, like there it is. She's, she's black. And then I have a gay person over here without doing that, like that work to actually develop the character. So yeah, I just appreciate the way you said that and the way you presented it, because that is really important to like give each character the care 
care of crafting them as you would any other character, you know, regardless of their identity yeah. or, you know. So um, have there been any projects that you have passed on because of the content? And if so, um, how do you decide on which projects you will take and which projects you won't? I haven't passed on any projects in terms of like if the content was too much for me or if it was triggering in any type of way. I do. I mean, sensitivity readers are human beings. So there may be topics that are triggering for them. I definitely feel like, you know, that's something that you should be aware of if you're wanting to take up sensitivity reading, because I have read a spectrum of stories. And um, some of them, you know, not not my jam, but there's an audience out there for those types of stories. And so the only time I've said no is when they've asked me to tackle a sensitivity topic that I feel somebody else would be better suited for. So for example, like I have given feedback on queer characters, but I feel like there is a sensitivity reader out there who may be better suited to provide that feedback than myself. So I will always encourage them to, you know, seek out sensitivity readers that specialize in those areas. Yeah, it's good to know. I I think that especially now when we do know that there are content warnings that we should let our, you know, anybody in our circle know. I, I did that with my editor for my my trilogy. My last book got really, really dark. And right before I sent it to her, I already had the date set up. And I was like, wait, I should tell you there's content warnings. And she's like, oh, no, I'm fine. That's okay. And I'm like, oh, good. I thought I was going to lose her possibly because it did get really dark. But um, I, you know, that, I think that is important to remember to at least let all of our readers know, beta readers, alpha readers, or sensitivity reader. But yeah, I so understand that. <laughs> so you've mentioned that you are on Fiverr on and off, uh, according to your bio, but is yeah. that the only place a person can find a sensitivity reader or where else could people look? Absolutely not. I do think it's a great resource for people to find sensitivity reading because again, it is still kind of new and very kind of niche at the moment. And so I'm sure that those things will start to expand. Um, there are tons of platforms out there. I would just encourage you to Google sensitivity reading. I'm sure Fiverr is going to be one of the first ones to pop up. Um, Upwork is one that I've been on before as well. And then some sensitivity readers may have their own websites as well, where you can, you know, have a contact form on the website that you can get in touch with them through. Uh, even LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So that's another avenue that you can possibly look for sensitivity readers. Have you, have readers found you on LinkedIn? Um, most people for sensitivity reading have found me on Fiverr. I think more people reach out to me through LinkedIn for writing because I do write articles. So I've had that happen more, but I mean, I'm open to anybody contacting me in any avenue uh, description of me being a sensitivity reader is up there uh, so yeah I'm glad you knew what I meant because I asked if readers found you there by met writers but you knew what I meant <laughs> I did the same messed up earlier with readers and writers if there was a situation where an author couldn't afford to pay a sensitivity reader what would you recommend they do instead and you kind of delved on this earlier with splitting the book in half and saying uh, uh, the first half now the second half later but would it make sense to further split it apart to maybe just send you like one or two chapters from the book, which the author thinks could be problematic. And then sorry to throw a lot of questions at you, but what steps no, could no, no, the no. author take to make sure any sensitive topic was written with intention? Yeah, absolutely. I definitely wouldn't recommend breaking it up in just a couple chapters because a lot of the times, especially, you know what? I take that back. It depends. <laughs> it depends on what is happening, but likely even, even if it's just
just, especially if it's a character, that character is likely going to show up or be a part of the plot in some way, shape, or form throughout it. And so it's important, like if somebody came to me and said, hey, I have this POC character, can you just read the the description of them? Is that going to be enough? Likely not, because their story and how their story develops, their culture, their background, all of that is going to be a part of that. It's going to color how a person reacts. I'll give an example. I had a manuscript that I read where the main character was a person of color. Also, another sensitivity uh, topic, struggled with addiction and uh, was a former addict and still kind of was grappling with addiction. There was a scene where he comes in contact with a police officer. They're outside a very nice gated home. One of the neighbors saw two people of color and decided to call the cops on them. And that whole scene, uh, the way that it would play out for a person of color to come in contact with the police is going to be very different than a person that is not a person of color coming in contact with police. And so I had to provide feedback to that, especially when it comes to that character's internal dialogue, what's going on on the inside, how they're feeling, how they're reacting, all of that. If they had just given me, oh, here's, you know, here's the description of the character and here's like a couple of scenes, they might end up missing like a huge portion of sensitivity feedback that they actually need for their story. But one thing that you can do is don't be intimidated by writing characters that are outside of your experience. Just do your research because I have so much confidence in writers to be able to write these characters and these stories and tackle these subjects. If you just educate yourself, if you just do a ton of research the way that you would do if you were building a world from scratch you can write these characters effectively. You can write these topics effectively. And I'm not saying that to like put myself out of a job and say, you don't need a sensitivity reader, but I am saying that research can help out a whole, whole lot. Um, and then, you know, if you have a friend who has that experience, maybe they have been, maybe they're a person of color. Maybe they've struggled with addiction. Maybe, you know, they have some background in one of these areas. You might be able to corral them into being your sort of pseudo sensitivity reader for free. You know, it never hurts to ask for people's opinions and just be like, what do you think about this character? Or what do you think about how I handled this topic in this manuscript? More likely than not, people that are around you that care about you are going to be willing to help you out. So again, not to put myself out of business, but there are other avenues. Well, I think that kind of goes along the line of, you know, when you give your manuscript to an editor, you want to have edited it yourself already. Because that way, they're not picking out every single little thing that's wrong. They can concentrate on the things that need to be picked out. So if people do their homework ahead of time to do as complete of a picture and character development as they should before they get it to a sensitivity reader, then the sensitivity reader can probably help the best following that. Yeah. And I'll add on to that. Like I can definitely tell when a writer has done zero research on a topic or when they've done zero research about a person's race or ethnicity. So it can help a lot in the amount of feedback that you get and how much you end up having to change if you just do that up front. And also, I just want to say as like a disclaimer about asking a friend, make sure that that is something that they, you know, might be interested in, like definitely ask. Because I can say as a person of color, I don't always want to educate everybody that I come across. And I've definitely had that happen to me where they're like, oh, you're Hispanic. So what about this, this and this? And nobody asks me if I want to be the advocate or the voice of my people. They just assume that I'm there to educate them. So definitely, uh, I would be tread lightly on asking friends to do that kind of work 
for you. You can't afford a sensitivity reader because they may not be interested in, in, in being that person for you. So since sensitivity reading by definition, as we've been talking about, is about sensitive topics, um, is there any particular way that an author or writer should present their book to you? For example, like a list of content warnings, character list, or the topics at hand before you go into the manuscript? Yeah, uh, I definitely appreciate content warnings. I haven't really had an issue with a writer just springing certain things onto me, but uh, I definitely think content warnings, trigger warnings are a must. Uh, in terms of like characters, it would be, it would help me if you could identify like which characters are characters of color, because I, I want to obviously focus on those characters more and make sure that they're being accurately represented. And sometimes, believe it or not, I have read manuscripts where I'm like, this is a person of color? I would have never known that. <laughs> if you hadn't told me, I would have never known this is a person of color because there's just, there's no markers there. There's nothing there that tells me. And that's, you know, like kind of hearkening back to the previous question where you just like write essentially a non-POC uh, character, but then you slap the POC label on them and, and, you know, call it a day kind of thing. But yeah, that's really all that you you need is as a sensitivity reader is the content warnings and then you know just any characters that you want to focus on or uh, any particular topics that you want to focus on well we've got one more question for you but there's been something i've been wondering the whole time we've had this interview and and that's the the fact that the three of us we all write fantasy (laughs) so our characters come from different worlds well ben does have some of his does take place in the contemporary world before they go through portals you know this is something i i kind of thought about when i've been writing my new series my new series i decided i my first series was Irish myths. It was like, they're based off the Tuatha Danann, who are all white with blonde hair or red hair. <laughs> so I was like, I want to get away from being stuck in this right here. I want to do something different. It's a secondary world. So it's like Earth, but not our history. And I want it to have all the colors of people. But I do know, like, Morgan's my critique partner. And when I gave her, like, the chapters that I have, um, characters of brown and black skin color, I was like, hey, can you just check for me? Make sure I'm not doing anything that's, that seems negative. Because it's not my intention to make anyone seem negative. And so she's really good about that. But I still am like, what is that? Because experience is going to be different, right? It's a different world. I made up this world, but I still don't want like a person of color to read my book and feel like I didn't represent them in a positive way. So do you have any suggestions on how a person could go about doing this, if, especially if they make up their worlds? Yeah, I'll, yeah, totally. Because like you said, in a fantasy world, there might not be the same struggles. Uh, society may function completely differently in that world. And so it, you don't have to take the real world problems and put them into your fantasy world to make your characters of color uh, seem more real or authentic. I think it's more so just about representing them as as a person. So like making them well-rounded. So providing that physical description so that we can get some identifying markers of like, what does this person look like? Especially because most readers are going to make up their mind within like the first, I don't know, couple paragraphs after, uh, after a character is introduced about what that character looks like. So especially for a character of color, it is so important to get that description in early because most people are going to, like I said, default to, oh, this character's white, unless you identify them in a different way. So the physical description is huge. It's important. Also uh, incorporating culture, and that can be fantasy culture. You know, you can make up whatever culture they have. You can make up food. You can make up music. You can make up dances that they do. It's all part of their culture. The most important thing is to just make them feel like real people with a real culture and to bring that culture to life within the story and in a way that also differentiates them from their counterparts. You know, different cultures are going to listen to different music. They're going to eat different food. They're going to speak different languages. 
is, they are are going to respond differently. They're going to have different decorum, etiquette. Those are all details that you can incorporate in your fantasy story that they don't have to be like actual cultures here, you know, in this world. They can be completely different. I mean, like the sky's the limit on imagination of what you can do. But I mean, there have been a lot of fantasy stories that have taken from real life cultures and incorporated those things into their books. My advice with that is if you're going to use a culture as an inspiration, be, for, be sure to do it respectfully and, and be sure to do it completely. I don't, I wouldn't cherry pick and be like, I'm going to take this from this, like from Mexicans. I'm going to take this from Puerto Ricans and I'm going to take this from this and then put it all together because <laughs> it doesn't, it, you know, we're not interchangeable. So it's basically don't treat your, the characters, cultures as being interchangeable. Take inspiration if you want to, but also just feel free to use your own imagination as long as the characters are well-rounded and you have a feel for who they are family dynamics all of that is like very much a part of uh heritage it's very much part of culture and it can make your characters a lot more dynamic and your storyline a lot more dynamic and give you plot points to use within your story as well i appreciate that thank you and I find that I default to just talking about hair color and skin color with all my characters anyway. So I do that right off. I'm like, I'm going to do a little bit better here. I need to add more description. Like, what does the face look like? What does the body look like? I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, that was a question I had the whole time we've, we've been talking. But now I'll move on to our last question, which is if you could give uh, authors one tip or trick or a piece of advice about sensitivity reading, what would it be? To kind of be a broken record, do your research, do your research, do your research, do your research. If I could provide some, like, I guess, general tips as far as what you can do with let's say POC characters that's one topic that we've been talking about a bunch there's many other sensitivity topics as well I would incorporate at least three to four things that identify them as being who they are like I said that could be food that could be music that can be a physical description that could be language if you can do your research then you will find ways to like leave little breadcrumbs for your readers as to who you know this person is where they come from without necessarily having having to come right out and say it and identify them and label them, but allow your readers to really figure it out. And as far as sensitivity topic go tips, I would just, when it comes to areas that may offend people, I would just make sure that you're being very clear about what your intentions are with this subject. I would encourage people not to just put subjects in for shock value, but make them really a part of the story and a part of the character and make them have a purpose. Ask yourself, what is the purpose of putting this in here? Is it just to be different? Is it just to be controversial? Or is there something that I want to say? Is there meaning behind it? I think that if you have an intention and a meaning, you're going to be a lot more careful with how you present that topic to people. You're going to give it a purpose. And it doesn't always have to, you know, be an after school type special where you're like, you know, teaching the children about this particular area. It can just be about presenting a real life situation, presenting trauma, presenting the human struggle, the human experience. But as long as you have an intention and a healthy respect for that topic, I think that you'll be just fine. Well, you have answered all of our questions. Um, Before we wrap up, can you please tell our listeners where they can find you and possibly hire you as a sensitivity reader? Yeah, I am on Fiverr and I will provide my handle for that. I'm also, I don't mind if people contact me on Instagram. I am on Instagram. You can DM me on there as well. 
And my Instagram handle is Heather underscore Lee underscore age. And then I also have a website. It's not going to be, I'll I'll disclaimer, it's not going to be up for super long anymore. But for now, you can find me um, at Heather Rodriguez, my maiden name, heatherrodriguez.me is my website. Um, And that's, and LinkedIn too. Uh, I'm Heather Howland on LinkedIn. So those are any of the areas in which you can contact me. Great. So thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today and giving us your insight and experience as a sensitivity reader. This was a really great discussion. So thank you so much for coming. No problem. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And a thank you to our listeners and viewers. Next week, we will have another tip or trick of the week, followed by an author interview with YouTuber and nonfiction paranormal romance author, Rachel D. Adams, which will come out on March 15th. And with that, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much to our incredible listeners and viewers for joining us on our exploration of everything self-publishing. We hope you found our podcast to be a treasure trove of insights and inspiration. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform or thanks on our YouTube episodes. Don't forget, you can catch all of our past episodes on YouTube, Spotify, and other major podcast platforms. And if you'd like to connect with us, drop us a line at selfpublishingtipstricks at gmail.com. Keep writing, keep publishing, and we'll see you next time.